0: Welcome to After the Fact, a Knowing Faith mini-episode where we look to take a big question and address it in just a few minutes. Our After the Fact episodes this season are brought to you by the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you haven't had a chance to find out if seminary is right for you, you should hop over to sbts.edu slash explore, where Southern has designed a really helpful tool to help you think through that question. Joining us today is Dr. Dustin Binge. Dr. Binge is Associate Professor of Biblical Spirituality and his historical theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and the author of several books, including but not limited to The Loveliest Place, The Beauty and Glory of the Church, and The American Puritans, and the recently released Why I Should Love the Local Church by Crossway. Dr. Benj, welcome to After the Fact. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you so much, Kyle.
0: So here's the question. In a time when people are giving up on the church, I feel like there's always stories circulating on social media or in the news about people leaving, people who were leaders, who are, who are walking away. Where do you see the beauty of God in the life of his people?
1: Well, what a fantastic question, especially in the context in which we're living now. Uh, let me just first say, Kyle, that God defines the church first by who she is rather than what she does. And so, when we understand that, then we can fully realize how God sees the church and how he views the church. In chapter one of The Loveliest Place, I begin by examining a verse in the Old Testament, perhaps an obscure verse, but one that really is the launching pad for our discussion of why the church is lovely, why the church is beautiful. And that is Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 15. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Hmm. John Gill, um, an 18th century English Baptist pastor, uh, interprets Song of Solomon, as many others do throughout church history, as a really intense allegorical portrayal of the love Union and communion that exists between Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. He sees Song of Solomon as a a conversation that's going back and forth between a bridegroom and the bride. And so when Christ looks at his bride, the church, and says, behold, you are beautiful, my love, behold, you are beautiful. This has nothing to do with what she does or has done, but it has everything to do with who she radiates, who she mirrors, whose beauty that she personifies. Now, what's so amazing, Kyle, is that when we consider that the church is composed of sinners, once enemies of God, in her own eyes, the church is full of spots. It's full of blemishes. We could have many podcasts pointing out those spots and blemishes that make her sometimes disgusting to behold, just to be honest. But Paul comes along in Ephesians 5.27 and reminds us that at the end of the age, the church will be presented to Christ in splendor without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. The church isn't beautiful because of what she does. She's beautiful because of who she is, and that has nothing to do with us. And Mm. so when Christ looks at the church— The church is beautiful because the lens through which he is viewing her is his cross. The focal point of blood, righteousness, forgiveness, union, justification, regeneration, grace. His sinless perfection makes her beautiful. And so when Christ looks at the church, he sees beauty, because what he's seeing is a bride for which he has purchased with his own blood and washed and given her garments as white Hmm. as snow. And so our definition and our view of the church must flow out of who she is rather than what she does. Hmm. Because our perspective so often concerns what she does rather than who she is. And so we have to shift our perspective. We have to shift our interest and our view of the church from inward looking and see her as Christ does. Because when you misunderstand who she is, you will never understand
0: what she must do. So that i think gosh that is a really helpful distinction because i'm even thinking about most people's consternation over the life of the church you're you're absolutely right most people seem most bothered or troubled by the actions of the of the church let me ask you if you were talking with somebody you know, i'm sure you've had these conversations in your teaching ministry you mm-hmm. talk to people after conferences or somebody who's read your book and maybe raises kind of an alarm or throws a flag when somebody says to you, "But look at look at everything the church could be doing better. Mm. Look at everything the church has done wrong," is your because I think Christians right now are are fielding these questions from non-Christian neighbors, from people who are walking away from the church, these kinds of kind of darts that are thrown at the integrity of the church's witness. Would you say that a good a good starting place in those conversations is to go, hold on? I'm not quibbling with you that there are things the church has done wrong, mm. and I'm not quibbling with you that every church, every local church specifically, has behaved in a way that is an accurate picture of who the church actually is, mm. but I want to return back to who the church is. Is that the move you would make in those conversations of going, I, I want to talk with you about your concerns, but Mm -hmm. could we maybe take a step back? Is is that how you handle those kinds of objections? Yes,
1: absolutely. It's necessary to understand what I'm also not saying here. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying the church is perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not saying the church is always going to do and say the right things. I'm not saying the church will not hurt you, right. sometimes hurt you badly. And we have many unfortunate examples of that. And all of this can lead us to feel very apathetic and cold, and very indifferent for the church. Yeah. But I want to encourage every listener, and I would encourage those in my own church, those whom I teach, etc., don't view the church through the lens of God's people who are yet to be fully sanctified.
0: Hmm. But
1: view the church through the lens that God in Christ views her. So it's a shift of perspective. There's no perfect church. And as some have said, if it was perfect, it wouldn't be perfect once you got there because you're a sinner. (laughs) So don't expect a perfect church. But Kyle, let that be an inducement to us to seek one who said that he would never leave us and he would never forsake us. And even the gates of hell will not prevail against that which he has promised To build, keep your eyes on Christ and see the church as he sees her, his beloved bride for whom he died. Because after all, ultimately, it's Christ we serve, it's Christ we worship, Christ we glorify, and nothing should stop us from doing that in the context of his local church. So, in short, never judge the church, never judge Christ. By Christ's disciples then mm. see her as Christ sees her as one he is sanctifying and washing and will be presented to him one day as fully glorious and fully beautiful.
0: So good. Thank you, Dr. Binge, for joining us on After the Fact today. Thank you so much, Kyle. It's been a privilege. Listen, I want to strongly encourage you to check out the recently released Why I Should Love the Local Church. I'll tell you, if it's half as good as the loveliest place, it'll be worth double whatever you pay for it. And I mean that. Uh, So After the Fact is brought to you by the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you want to study with incredible professors like Dr. Binge, head over to sbts.edu and discover why Southern Seminary is trusted for truth.